Hey, everybody. It's Jackie Johnson, host of Natch Butte. We talk skincare, we talk makeup, we talk all things beauty, and my guest this week is Ariana Maddox. Hi. What do we talk about, Ariana? Oh, my gosh. We answer all of your questions. We do. We talk about how our dogs were in a Pharrell video together. We talk about... Um, exfoliation. Oh, we talk about exfoliation. We talk about uh, tanning, self-tanning. We talk about laser hair removal. We, we go there. We dive, do a deep dive in my makeup bag. We And Tom's. And Tom's. <laughs> and Tom's Sandoval's. So maybe check out Natribute this week and see what we're talking about. See you there. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks. Plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. How are you? If you haven't listened to the show before, uh, the show is just exactly what the title implies there. It's a conversation I have with somebody, usually, who's a lot more interesting with, than me and with me. Um, but before we get into the uh, hoodly-doo of the show, I have a very exciting uh, announcement. I, I have a sponsor, somebody uh, is supporting me and my show, and that's uh, quite flattering. And that sponsor is AdamEve.com, uh, the Adam and Eve d- adult uh, store. So, fellas, if you're looking to spice up things in the bedroom, been fantasizing about surprising your lover with adventurous new toy or adult movie, well, here's uh, an offer that you a special offer you can't resist because it, it you get I get to help you get like a big deal. You can go to AdamandEve.com. And for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about on any item. That's uh, that's pretty darn good. And you know what the cool thing about them is they don't, uh, like if you bought like a, uh, one of those pocket vagina things that you have sex with, guys, <laughs> you know, you're not going to get a package at your door that says uh, Gary likes uh, pocket vaginas to have sex with them. It's a very discreet box. No one's going to know that you're getting sex toys or adult movies, but um, but but there's something better about the 50% off because uh, that's not all. Oh no, that's not all. When you select one item for at 50% off, you'll also receive three adult DVDs, three three adult DVDs for a little inspiration to help you get uh, things moving there in in the old bedroom, plus a free extra. Gift so sensual, you know what? Maybe I can't mention it on a podcast where I say things that are awful all the time. But you get a free gift. That's nice of Adam and Eve. They didn't have to go out and get you a gift. And to top it all off, we'll even they'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. That's not we're not teasing you about that. Free shipping. So check out AdamandEve.com today for this special offer. Get fifty percent off one item. When you type in the code word Dwyer, D-W-Y-E-R, my last name, easy to remember. For the offer, just uh, check out the offer code when you check out and just type in Dwyer there. And when you do, you get three free DVDs and an extra gift and free shipping. 
God damn, those Adam and Eve people are generous. Just use the offer code Dwyer, D-W-Y-E-R, at adamandeve.com. There you go, everybody. That was my first official sponsor plug. I'm pretty excited, and I want to thank Adam and Eve for doing that. That was pretty awesome. And you know what the great thing is? That was a lot of sex talk. This show, this episode, I I talk with uh, Judith Lori, and... um, we talk. She is in works in the green burial uh, movement, and man, what a fucking fascinating topic this was. Because there's a lot we don't know about our, and we just talk about all kinds of death. So this this show, you get sex and death. You get Adam and Eve, sex and death, sex and death, Adam and Eve. And here's something not sexy, as you know. Um, I had that uh, bed bug thing. Uh, I mentioned last week's episode and uh, exterminators. It has been an excruciating. Uh, if you ever do yourself a favor, get a mattress fucking cover. Be careful in motels. Uh, just because it's an epidemic and anybody can get it. And I just wouldn't want anybody to get that. It's it's heart wrenching, and you have to like take all your clothes out and clean them and. It's like you move out of your apartment and then you get to move back into your own apartment. It's that terrible. Um, but you know what the good thing is? My girlfriend and I, my girlfriend and I didn't fight once. We got cranky. We got tired. I'm still exhausted. Never once yelled at each other. Never took it out on each other. I'm pretty proud because I've had a lot of psychopath girlfriends. I finally got a good one who's not a psychopath. <laughs> you know, I've had girlfriends lie to me about really horrible things like, uh, well, you know, fucking friends of mine in the bathroom at my birthday party. You know, just things like that. So it's nice to have a nice, normal girlfriend. Nice, normal. I once had a girlfriend. Um, we broke up, and then years later, she's like, oh, let's get coffee. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Maybe I was thinking we'd probably have sex. That's probably what my motivation was. It didn't happen. But uh, she took that opportunity out to tell me uh, that she'd been studying at the Berkeley Psychic Institute and that she now was psychic. I guess I didn't know. You could learn to be a psychic. I didn't know that there was schooling. I guess, you know, you could be a carpenter. You could learn uh, to be a, a mechanic. And you could learn to read people's minds and move objects, I guess. I didn't know there was Berkeley Psychic Institute. So, But she started, uh, during the coffee, she started just uh, talking to me, like giving me readings. <laughs> but she was like, oh, I sense some old cocaine energy around your face i'm like uh that's not psychic because anyone who's known me for about 10 minutes knows i used to do a lot of blow <laughs> it's like, and you, we used to live together so you're really not being a, and then she once said like i want to look up she was like oh i want to look up and see if there's a institute near you you should really go you have a lot and i was like really you have to look this up you have to look in the phone book psychic person <laughs> he Psychic person who, like, was telling me things I already knew about myself. I just, I think a lot of times, um, going out on a limb here, psychics are uh, full of shit. And it's uh, just a means to uh, to have control over people when you have, because they have no control over their own goddamn lives. Hope I'm not offending any psychics out there. I'm friends with a psychic, um, but I never actually never confronted her about that it was like come on this is bullshit you talk to dead people because you know what you know what happens when you die you die and you turn to nothing um you know you, you re disperse among the universe but you 
you know, you go into the ground and, you know, that whole cycle of life and death. We talk about a lot of this, too, on the episode here. Uh, and I just talking about this bed bug thing made me goddamn itchy. Anyway, this is a great episode. Here is Judith Lowe. Now, just to begin, I think it would be best for if you wouldn't mind uh, describing exactly it is what you're involved in. So, because I, I I have a wild idea that you're going to articulate it better than I can. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so I've been um, working with um, an organization, uh, an ad hoc committee called the Green Burial Committee, and we're part of a um, we're a committee of the Funeral Consumers Alliance of Western Massachusetts and Eastern Massachusetts. And our the work that we do really is um, about education and advocacy um, around uh, green funeral practices and um, to establish a natural burial ground in Massachusetts um, for all open to anyone, which doesn't yet exist. And so we do this by, well, we do, do this in a lot of different ways, but um, we, we talk with people, we do workshops, we give talks, we um, really have been trying to work with the land trust community to create a partnership so that we can work together um, in a way that would we think would further both of our both of our goals. But it really is a lot of it um, has to do with just planting the seed uh, with people and and helping them to think about um, what will happen to them when they die. What do they want? Their, where do they want their body to go when they die? I mean. Um, you know, it's so anyway. That's that's the kind of work that we're doing is really trying to educate people around um, the idea that uh, green burial is a good thing, and um, that uh, we um, think that uh, it should be an option for everyone if they want it. It's interesting because I guess I mean I think we Westerners kind of avoid thinking about death anyway, <laughs> but I think like yeah. when you become aware of that option. And you start thinking about the way they do. It seems like, I mean, they put you in a cement box, like they embalm right. you. It just yeah. seems, it just seems strange. It doesn't even, like, uh, yeah. take out the environment. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, it's, it's strange in terms of, like, the ritual. And then it's strange in terms of, like, the amount of resources that we use to do this. Um, and I think that... Um, People don't always understand. Well, you're right. I mean, in terms of it's not just, you know, the, on the West Coast or whatever. I mean, everywhere. I mean, I do I do talks and I have people who come up to me afterwards and they, they say this. Well, if I die, blah, blah, blah. And so you know, I wanted to say, you know what? You are going to die. It's going to happen. So it's kind of like we're always in denial about this. And, you know, it's a pretty and it's a pretty, um, you know, common, um, uh, common thing that people that people uh, way that people think, actually, because they don't want to think about it. Who wants to think about it? You know, but what's happening is that um, if you don't think about it, then you're probably not going to uh, you could easily not get what you want in terms of the uh, the end of your life, what happens to your body when you die. So 
you know, there are, there are options right now, which they aren't um, really terrific. Uh, so you can be uh, you can be buried in uh, the conventional manner, and you know, as you mentioned, it, that would include embalming, and it would include you know a metal casket and and being put in a a, a vault or a liner um, in the cemetery, big headstone. And if you think about the amount of resources that uses. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible. So, so that's one way. Another way, um, especially when we talk to people who consider themselves environmentalists or whatever, they say, well, I'm not going to do that, but I'll just be cremated. Well, that's better um, on a scale of what you're using in terms of uh, resources, but you're also you're having to fire up the retort to like 14, 1600 degrees for a couple of hours, and that takes a tremendous amount of of uh, energy. And then you know you've got emissions coming up the the smokestack, right? And so you know maybe mercury from your fillings. Um, so. While it's better than a conventional uh, uh, burial in terms of resources or whatever, also not terrific. Um, you could donate your body um, to science, but, you know, that's not always an option for everyone, especially if somebody has been sick um, before they died. And, um, you know, and then there's natural burial, which, you know, the way we um, – in the in in these uh, in the movement really talk about natural burial, it's no embalming, um, a, a biodegradable box or no box, and no um, vault or no uh, burial burial uh, liner, and no big you know uh, uh, headstone. So the idea is that you are just you go back to um, the earth in the simplest way possible with um, you know a minimal amount of steps. Now that's um, like, is there legal issues with that? Like, because it it does seem like it's like things. That's the natural course that the world has been going through since its inception, or mm-hmm. however it got here. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, plants die, trees die, everything dies. It goes back into the soil. It's you know, right. It's very Buddhist or whatnot. But um, and why is the the powers that be so opposed to that to that yeah wow that's a really great question and it's just so loaded um so just to take us back a little bit the the whole the way that we have been doing um burial and funeral rites in this country um really has it changed in the civil war right and so during the civil war um you know families were, were wanting their soldiers brought back um north for example shipped back and it got pretty nasty having these bodies on these trains you know in the middle of the summer <laughs> being shipped back up um and so um so embalming practices started to be um very um uh, common um on the on the battlefield as a way to get soldiers um, transported. And then, you know, when Lincoln was shot, he was on the, the, the train and um, he was really the first um, uh, famous person who was uh, a person of any notoriety who was embalmed. And people started to see that and thought, wow, I want that for myself, you know. So it used to be that you'd be buried in your churchyard and, you know, the, um, you know, the, the carpenter would make your coffin and it would be a, a very uh, family uh, community oriented event. And so now with embalming, well, that that is going to require the, you know, the services of somebody, you know, outside of the family. 
of course, and to be able to preserve the body for viewing. And then like a, a sort of a whole industry grew up around that, right? So then it was embalming and then it was the casket. You're not having your casket built anymore. You know, you're buying a casket. And then, well, as industrialization happened and people are moving to the cities and there are people are living, there's less space. People are living in apartments. Well, where are we going to, you know, lay grandma out? We used to lay her in the parlor. Well, you know, maybe we don't have the room to do that. So this whole industry just grew up um, around these practices to um, really reflect the, the, the industry that we have today. And so I think that, you know, again, a lot of times people don't think about like everything that's involved in it, but it, it has evolved to something that has become very industrialized in a way. It's very um, corporate, uh, has become very corporate. Um, and so it, it takes us, um, you know, it, many steps away from the kinds of rituals that we used to do taking care of our own dead. It's interesting you bring up the like it, it's that it's an industry, and I was wondering if, uh, like all big industries, they kind of lobby, and and I, I would assume maybe they would fight your movement a bit. Does that happen? Well, there's been there's certainly um, initially there was a there was a lot of um, pushback, and I think that there still is. I think the funeral uh, director, National Funeral Directors Association, for example. Um, it's they're slow to change, you know, and the you know there are there are people who are, you know, sort of you'd say good and bad people in every industry. I mean, it's not so much that the funeral directors are such bad people, but it's really about the fact that it's a business, right? I mean, death and money—that's really what we're talking about here. And for businesses to stay alive, especially in an era where you know there are so many there are corporations now you know taking. Uh, buying out small businesses. And, you know, I think we saw a lot of that. Um, if you watch Six Feet Under, I mean, they really documented that whole, <laughs> what was going on there um, pr pretty well. And I think for a lot of people, it was an eye opener. But, you know, there are families who say, well, you know, gr grandpa was buried at, you know, Smith and Sons, and my dad was buried at Smith and Sons, and I'm going to be buried at Smith and Sons. Um, but they don't know that it's not necessarily Smith and Sons anymore, and that it could have been bought out by um, a larger corporation that sort of keeps that name. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's really it's really been hard for them to say, okay, well, we're going to change our practices too, because you know what? There isn't as much money in, say, cremation, or there isn't as much money for them in doing a full-body burial with the embalming and all of that. Um, and so it cuts into their profits, and especially, you know, if they're already struggling, if the demographics of people dying, you know, in, in Massachusetts, for example, there aren't enough people dying to support the number of funeral homes that we have. Um, and so then what do you do as a business? Well, you know, you really kind of fight the, the, uh, the forces that would um, kind of that would that would force you to um, provide less service. I mean, the I don't know that if you know the um, the average cost of a funeral in the United States. This was just a study that was released by the National Funeral Directors Association for 2012 is $7,000, $7,045. And if you're someone who's you know, if you're low income or something, and like say you're a big family and your main breadwinner yeah. dies, your seven thousand dollars is a lot of cash for most yeah. people. That's a lot of cash, and that doesn't even include the cemetery liner. You know, or you have to have a liner in a cemetery, and we could talk more about that and just kind of like what the rules are. But um, that doesn't even account for that cost or sort of the. Um, 
you know, uh, other kinds of flowers and all of that. I mean, that's just kind of like the basic, the basic fee. So yeah, it's a lot. And I think that people, you know, do a lot more research on like buying a car, for example, <laughs> than they would, you know, but, you know, you, you know, being able to uh, know really do, doing the research and knowing what's involved with this major expense. But if you don't have any money, um, it's, it's really stressful. Uh, I used to when I was a, a volunteer and on the board of the Funeral Consumers Alliance of Eastern Mass, I was the person who answered the telephone line when people would call. And um, a significant amount of those calls were people calling saying, you know, my, my brother just died and he didn't have any money and we don't have any money and we don't know how we're going to get him buried. And and so it's really, it's a very sad situation. And um and really enraging in a lot of ways that you know you're you're in this situation where you have to bury somebody and you're 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 grieving and you're distressed and now you've got to figure out how to come up with you know money if you don't have an insurance policy a life insurance policy to cover that what does like what hypothetically does happen if you're like what do they do just like toss you in a ditch <laughs> it's like i mean <laughs> yeah i mean cuz well i mean yeah yeah. I mean, because it's like they got to do – it's not like they can keep Uncle Fred sitting around the living room until they figure it out. Right, exactly. Well, I think what happens is that um, – so they'll get, like, the the cheapest casket that they can that they can find. I mean, now you can actually buy caskets, and you know, from, um, you know, retailers, Costco and so on. But, you know, and they try to work out um, – they, they pool money. Um, some families um, will have um, fundraisers. <laughs> You know, where they can, um, you know, pay the funeral home back um, for, you know, the, the costs that are incurred. Um, and I think that, you know, trying to go with the lowest price possible. So maybe they did want a body, full body burial for this person, but they, maybe they would go with cremation just because it's a, it's a cheaper alternative. You know, so, um, they, so it's not like... Yeah, there oh. are funds or something, state funds. I mean, if you, you know, if you're on public assistance, that there's a certain amount of money that you, a pool that you might be able to tap into. But um, you know, it's just there's just not, there's just nothing really available for people. When now cremation, they don't. Do they do? Do you just kind of get to stay as you are, or do they mess around with your organs and whatnot as well? No, well, you could have you could have uh, embalming and uh, viewing, and then be cremated. So there are some people who are still embalmed and then cremated, but that's usually not the case. I mean, if somebody is, you know, going the cremation route, then it's usually you know kind of a, you know, no, no bells or whistles kind of a situation. Um, so you know, they'll it'll be less there'll be less expense because there'll be less to do. No. Um, uh, I, I I was curious if like if it's a if it's because it's kind of a it's kind of law correct is it law that these certain have to they have to do all these things with your body no that's oh, not law and I think and I think that's where the other thing is we don't people don't really know the what the laws are I mean in terms of um, in terms of embalming um, it's we, there's no state in the in the country that requires embalming except for very rare cases um you know certain kinds of communicable diseases or something like that but yeah they don't it's it's not and it's usually i mean the whole idea of of embalming is to 
that the funeral industry, you know, uh, advocates for this is if you're going to have a viewing and, you know, you don't, you don't want decomposition to start to set in right away. Um, and so that's, that's the reason that they'll say it, but it, it, you know, that they'll advocate for that. That's what they say, or that it's a public health issue. But honestly, opening somebody up is really, I think, where the, the, <laughs> the health risk is. I mean, if you're a, an embalmer, and I actually, I was an embalmer funeral director apprentice um, for a short time, and um, the, the, the risk really is to uh, the embalmer because you're, you know, opening up the body and, you know, exposing the embalmer to uh, these, you know, these, these kinds of toxic chemicals with the formaldehyde in the, uh, in the embalming fluid. So, and it's, and it's really a pretty invasive, um, aggressive procedure. Uh, and I don't know that people necessarily know that. I think they they come in and they say, oh well, we want you know Uncle Freddie to we want to be able to have a a, a wake and and uh, you know have him look good, <laughs> whatever that means, look like he's still alive or something. Um, and uh, you know, like you know, I don't know if you've ever gone to a, a wake with a you know a body, you know, in the casket, right? Well, I've, but I've gone you know, to a ton people. Of them. <laughs> Not to yeah, brag. Yeah, so people always say, oh, oh, he looks so good. Yeah, not to brag. Yeah. But, oh, he looks so good. Well, what does that mean exactly, like he looks so good? You know, um, it's, it's, very, it's such a strange ritual. But, but, yeah, I think if people really knew what was involved in it, they would be horrified. Yeah, it's it is it it is such a strange – I mean, I, it's, I mean it's not, I'm not making any revelation, but it is for more the living. But it just seems like – I feel like we should have kind of moved – like as a collective consciousness, like sort of moved past that, like, hey, let's go stare yeah. at the dead guy and then go get drunk or eat donuts and coffee. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's just really weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know what? I think that that is starting to change. I think that as people, well, as baby boomers, right, are getting older and they're looking at their own um, mortality and saying, you know, well, you know, how are we going to, how, how do I want this to, to go down for myself? Um, I think that attitudes are starting to shift. And, and I think that's why the idea of green burial or natural burial is really starting to take off in this country because people are, people, people who have been, you know, for example, um, you know, environmentalists their whole life, or they've been people who've just wanted to like live simply their whole lives. Like why in the world would they then, you know, be embalmed, put in a metal box, put in a, a cement liner, you know, put in a hole with the, the then has to be, you know, the grass has to be fertilized and all of that. I mean, it's really not, it's, you know, for, for many people um, who really start to think about it in a different way, it's not what they want and it's not in keeping with their values. I mean, I think that we see something similar to like the home birth movement, right? Like yeah. people, you know, women always had their babies at home and then then, you know, things shifted and, you know, everything became much more, you know, about safety and, you know, being mechanized in the medical model. And then women are having their babies in, in hospitals. That becomes the norm. But, you know, what did we see? Well, people, women started having their babies at home again. I mean, not all of them, certainly, but saying, well, this is an option for us. So just as that's, you know, this kind of beginning of life ritual, then we've got this end of life ritual. And, and there also there's a movement that's, that's very, um, you know, aligned with the green burial, sort of natural burial movement is home funerals. You know, people are now saying, wow, we can just do this at home. We don't have to have a funeral director to do this. I mean, why can't we just take care of our loved one right here? 
Um, and so there are only, I, I think it's six states that don't allow that. Um, but most most states allow for people to be able to be the designee. Um, uh, and that's kind of what you would fill out on the death certificate as, as opposed to a funeral director. And just, you know, take care of the body themselves at home. That's it. Now, so if I if I died, can I say, well, I can't say anything because I'm dead, but... <laughs> right, because you're dead. But can I say in advance, like, I don't want... I want to be buried in, like, a recycled paper coffin, no embalming, or are most... Mm-hmm. Uh, cemetery is going to throw like, well, that's not how we do it. Yeah, you know what? And you raise a great point because that's really the issue. It's it's less about what a state requires in terms of burial, and it's more about the cemetery itself. It's the cemetery that makes the rules around these kinds of things. And so in a conventional cemetery, which is, you know, what we have now, um, typically it's about a thousand bodies per acre. And in a natural burial ground, it's more like 100, 150 an acre. So when you've got 1,000 bodies an acre, um, you have to be able to sort of like support the ground underneath it. Because if you think about it, you're digging all these holes. There are 1,000 holes in an acre, which is, you know, a pretty small, you know, relatively small uh, parcel of land for this for this much underneath. Then, you know, they've got to put these, these liners in and a, or, or a vault. It's just that the vault has a... Uh, a lid on top, and the liner is kind of inverted, so the casket would be right on the the ground, but it would be three sides, you know, to support that ground because then, you know, because they're bring, digging out all this dirt and these, they've got heavy equipment, right, to, you know, backhoes to dig the dirt out. They've got um, big lawnmowers that are keeping the, you know, the, the grass cut. Um, and so, um, so there's, so it's really the cemetery that will often say, well, you know, we don't do natural burial because, you know, we want these vaults or whatever. But more and more as people are starting to say, well, this isn't what I, you know, I would like a natural burial. You know, there it's starting to push the, the cemeteries more to start to think about this thing. And, you know, that's some of what we do on our committee is to educate people about ask your cemetery what they do. Ask for this kind of thing, because um, that's the only way we're going to see any change is if there's customer demand for it, then, you know, then the market will start to, you know, listen to the demand of the people they're trying to serve. But but until we start to do that, it's not going to change. Now, because it's a very, you know, very sort of conservative um, industry. Are there any? Um, are there any green cemeteries? Yeah, yeah. There's a whole. There are. Um, so there's an organization called the Green Burial Council, and they mm-hmm. sort of certify um, uh, cemeteries for, for different categories of green burial. You know, kind of a you know, sort of more of a hybrid uh, kind of situation where you've got some green burial and some conventional and all the way to conservation burial, which has very strict, um, very strict uh, standards for, for uh, natural burial. And um, if you go on the website, I think there are like 24 states that have um, certified uh, cemeteries. And that's, um, and there are many more that might not necessarily have gone through the green burial certification, but that do exist as natural cemeteries. And the idea would be that these would be open to anybody. Um, you know, typically what you, well, in Massachusetts anyway, it's really the town, uh, you, the town will have its own cemetery, um, but it's for town residents. 
or if you belong to a church, you know, you, your church may have a cemetery right. um, or a synagogue would have a cemetery. But if you're not affiliated with any of those like religious organizations, um, you know, it's usually you would go to the municipal cemetery. And it's really then these are the cemeteries that are really, you know, deciding what what happens in their cemetery. So it's not that, you know, we hear, you know, we give these talks and, and, you know, these workshops and people say, well, just, you know, put me in a pine box and put me in the ground. And I think people don't realize, you know what, it's really not that easy to have it be so simple. And that's really the, you know, it's, it's such a contradiction, but it's, it's, it's true. The way our kind of system is set up, um, it just doesn't support a, a simple burial. Um, you know, it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, we had a in our uh, a town in in Massachusetts, and there was a, um, and it, the town it really is a natural burial ground, and they don't use vaults. They have a couple of them, but they mostly, you know, they have hand digging or they have a backhoe. But they, um, that's the way they do it. And the town, you know, the has been, you know, many people have contacted this town and say, well, can I be buried in your cemetery uh, because I want to have a natural burial? And they said, well. Well, we only, you know, allow uh, residents of this town to be buried here. And so it really speaks to the need that people are thinking in this way, but it's just a lot harder to do than, yeah. you know, than we think. You know who's really yeah. good at uh, natural burial is the mob. They've been doing it for years. <laughs> right, they were, exactly. They were, uh, they innovate, they're real innovators in that field. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the cement shoes, I don't know. That would that might be, I That's don't know. That's that would really fit the criteria, but yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there are, there are religious um, organizations, being, this is completely not the mob, um, you know, that do natural burial. The Muslims, the Jews, I mean, they, you know, they're, you know, it's a very quick turnaround in terms of, you know, when somebody dies, that they're buried, you know, immediately. And it's not a lot, you know, they don't do embalming. Um, you know, they often don't have a, a vault that right in the ground. They, the person may be buried in a shroud um, and, uh, or a, a plain pine box. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that there are lots of, um, there are lots of examples of, of organizations, um, and societies that are, you know, religious, uh, organizations or societies that are doing this, um, the way we are trying to bring it back to this country, uh, and it's, and that it's been such a struggle, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's really interesting. You know, and the other thing I wanted to just say, if I could, about this, the idea of ritual, right? Um, so people have talked about how meaningful it is to be able to um, uh, bury someone, um, have the, the people, the family and friends of that person be the people to, you know, be the last people to touch that person or put the person in the ground, um, cover that person up with dirt. I mean, it's a, it's a very powerful experience for many people. And when we hand that over to a funeral director, to an industry, the funeral industry, it kind of takes away that kind of poignancy of having that, um, uh, having that um, experience with the body. And so that's really also, you know, there are, there are a whole host of reasons that, that we think natural burial is a good idea, you know, in terms of environmentally, um, uh, um, financially, and in most cases, not all, but, um, and, but also the piece around the ritual. I mean, it's really taking back um, the, uh, the ritual of caring for somebody, um, you know, your last, you know, your final act of caring for someone. Uh, it, it's powerful. Yeah, it's it's amazing because once you really, 
I, I, like we said earlier, I mean, you don't really th- think about it. And it's like once you sort of open up that doorway into thinking and uh, and questioning about this, it's pretty, like, it's kind of mind-blowing because you're like, one, you're like, hey, we're being screwed, it almost seems. Yeah. like. Yeah. And, and just, uh, and yeah, and, and getting to take care of uh, people you love in a better manner. It's, yeah. Uh, well, and it really is about about planting the seed. I mean, so we don't want we look at death through kind of we cover our eyes and we kind of move our fingers apart and we kind of look at it, but we don't really want to look at it. But when we, you know, again, when we do these talks or we, you know, we'll often table it like a, you know, a sustainability fair or something like that. We put up our little green burial banner. I mean, it's a pretty homebrew kind of operation. But when you really start talking with people about um what their options are, and they start to think about this, well, this is what I would want for myself. And then they say to us, well, where can I be buried in Massachusetts? And we say, unless you have your own land um, and get permission from the Board of Health or your town cemetery does natural burial, whatever, this isn't an option for you. Yeah. You know, when people are, people are, are, you know, then outraged, you know, they finally start to think about this as, wow, this is what I want, and then they realize they can't have it. Um, and so that's re- I think, and that's why a lot of these cemeteries popped up, you know, around the country is just that there's, there's a, a demand for, um, the, uh, wanting the option. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I was curious about, cause you know, in olden days you had a, most people you had a farm or some land and you just, you'd chuck right. dad and under the willow tree and <laughs> yep. like, yeah. And I, I didn't and know that if, was it. And I didn't know if you could do that anymore. Like if that, but I guess you can still well, yeah, I think if you have, um, you know, if you have, again, every, well, in, in Massachusetts, it's really a town by town or city by city, uh, um, you know, they, they have jurisdiction over, over that. But, um, but in terms of the state, there, there isn't really a lot that it says about not being able to do it, but there are criteria. So, you know, you don't want to be near a water source. Um, you would need to, um, you know, write this into the, the deed so that, if you sold your house and somebody else bought it, they know that grandpa, you know, that there's a body on the, on the property and um, also having it surveyed. So they know where the body is. So some kind of a, you know, GIS or GPS or something like that. Um, and aside from that, um, if you do have some, you know, you do have some property, I mean, you couldn't do it in the middle of Boston, certainly, but, you know, out in more rural areas, it would, it's certainly, um, uh, reasonable, and you know, in Massachusetts, there are guidelines that have been set out, set out by the Board of Health about, you know, what towns should think about in terms of approving someone who wants to have uh, somebody buried on their own land. But it's really up to the town to interpret how they, um, you know, read those guidelines. So they could make it difficult, and some towns do because I think they just, you know, honestly haven't thought that much about it, and they want to protect themselves. They want to kind of, you know, cover themselves in terms of any kind of liability or legal issues. Um, and there are other towns that just are much more flexible. So if you came to them and said, you know, I have, I have five acres. I want to, um, you know, I, when, you know, when I die, I want to be buried on my property. That they'll say, okay, you know, as long as, you know, you follow these, you know, these particular three things, you know, these guidelines around the water source and, and, and writing into the deed and so on, you're good to go. But again, for, for many of us, that's not a luxury because we don't have that land. I mean, especially, you know, people who live in urban areas, it's just not there. So if you're somebody who is, you know, a non, uh, you don't belong to a, a religious community that has its own cemetery, um, and you don't have land, and you don't want to be cremated, you really don't, you don't have a lot of choice. 
Hey, uh, we're going to get back to the conversation with Judith Lorai in a second. Pretty damn interesting, isn't it? I just want to take out this moment real quickly to thank you for listening to the show. It means a great deal to me. And if you could do me a favor and tell your friends about the show or tweet about it or whatever, I greatly appreciate that. Also, if you could do us another big favor, and I know these are tough times, but if you could donate a little bit of dough for the show just so we could, you know, uh, I can pay for my phone bill so I can interview people like Judith Lorai over the phone uh, or, uh, you know, buy mics and stuff. And, uh, and so Dustin Marshall, the fine man here at uh, Feral Audio, can eat. Also, uh, I just want to ask you, uh, if you can't donate, I understand. I understand. But if you could, next time you go buy something on Amazon, if you go to my website, uh, my page here at feralaudio.com, and um, use my link to buy some bullshit on Amazon, I get some kickbacks on that. Also, follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Dwyer, or Tumblr, at Matt Dwyer, super duper times. Just uh, find me on Twitter. You can find me on Tumblr. Um, also, if you can, write a review for my show on iTunes. Uh, that would be awesome. Give it five stars. Uh, take a screen picture of it. Email me at conversationswiththewire at gmail.com, and I'll send you out a sticker uh, real soon. I'm still getting a mate. I know I've been saying this for a couple weeks, but it's been the, it's been a hell few weeks for me. Um, all right. We're going to get back to the, the, the show here. Thank you. Now, I, I'm curious how, because you said you were a apprentice for um, embalming and all that. What? Uh, yeah. Because uh, I think when you, people who work in the field of death, <laughs> there's a preconceived probably, I don't want to say uh, prejudice, but preconceived thoughts of pe- these people are morbid and they're a little mm-hmm. weird. <laughs> Which, yeah. And you <laughs> seem, frankly, very weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but I mean, you're a very like yeah. upbeat and uh, you know jovial, nice person, and it's like you wouldn't think like you are involved in death. Well, we're all going to be involved, but I'm just yeah. I'm curious what drew you to that field and 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 what was the transition too? Because you from the um the more old the formaldehyde embalming <laughs> to to where you are now. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was um, probably 15 years ago or so, and I was in my early 30s, and I had been working in um, in nonprofit management. Actually, had a you know nice job and um, liked the work, but I had always been thinking about this issue of death, and not even so much like you know hospice kind of work, but like death care and and you know how we how we uh, work with um, you know the dead and how how all of that ritual works and so on and and I um, I'd experienced um, six uh, deaths in my in my in a very short period in a six month period starting with uh, my dad uh, who died of uh, prostate cancer and then. Um, and that period of time also included a very, very close friend who died of AIDS. And then, you know, four, three or four other people who I, I knew, who weren't, I, I wasn't really as close to as, you know, this friend and, and my father certainly, but, you know, who were part of my circle. And I just went on some kind of, I think I had some kind of like existential crisis or something. And I had been thinking about this whole, you know, the, the death business. And I thought, you know what, for me to really like grapple with this, I, I'm going to just change careers. And so I had started taking classes at the, uh, uh, the funeral Institute, um, in our area. And, um, then I just, I quit my job and I went from a, 
I was managing a staff of like 24 or whatever, had a nice corner office, and I traded that in for a, a locker in the basement of this funeral home. And um, it was a family-owned funeral home, still is. Um, and I was the only woman who had ever, quote, worked in the basement. And the guys who worked there uh, had been there for, you know, 120 years, 125 years. We did have a – there was a younger guy who worked there, but um, had, had only been there for a couple of years. But, you know, they took bets on how long I would last <laughs> in the business because they were like, oh, here she's this optimistic, you know, woman and young woman. And um, so it was really interesting. You know, I had to like – I had to just – um, uh, kind of uh, f- fight my way into the into the industry, and you know, over time, I actually got became friends with my coworkers, and um, uh, it was a really wonderful experience. And um, you know, I would you know, my boss would say, "Well, you're you know, you're." Technical skills seem to be good in terms of the, you know, the embalming or all, all of that. I mean, I couldn't do that alone because I was an apprentice, but I was just learning. And, you know, you see you're very good with the families, you know, because we would, you know, open the door for people and, you know, help people park and all of that as part of what you do as a, a funeral director apprentice and, you know, driving the hearse and that kind of thing. But, but you know, I just didn't have a business sense. And, you know, they've got the showroom with, you know, the, the $7,000, you know, bronze casket or the mahogany casket. And, you know, I was always like gravitating toward the pine box. Or right? so I was saying to people, oh, the pine box is nice. And, um, uh, and again, because I was an apprentice, it's not like I was actually doing the selling. But, you know, I was starting to see that I was not um, – I just wasn't, uh, I didn't have that business sense, right? So I have this little existential crisis going on. I'm working in the industry. Um, I'm finding it really fascinating. And, uh, you know, it's, the work is so special. It's, it's, you know, not everybody can do it, but I thought, well, maybe I'm cut out for this. But, um, and then one day I was in the basement and um, uh, a body came in that was um, a woman who was just my age and she had been, you know, also worked in the nonprofit field. And um, when the family brought her clothes in, it was like my exact size. Um, and she was a much better dresser than I, <laughs> than I was. But, um, you know, and, and so in, in preparing her body and realizing, oh, my God, like this could be me. Um, it just kind of snapped me out of that kind of crisis that I was having around death, like feeling the need to be that close to it because I had, you know, experienced the death of these people that I knew in a, a, a lot in a very short time. And I decided this is not really my calling because, you know, I'm just, I mean, I'm not a business person and it's a very business oriented field. I mean, it's a, you know, death and money. I mean, that's what the, that's what the way the funeral um, industry is you know, set up in this country. And so I did leave after some time. I never finished my degree. It was a two-year um, It was a two-year program to become a funeral director in Massachusetts, which was really long. Um, so I didn't, I didn't finish it. I left the funeral home, um, you know, on good terms, certainly there, um, you know, making friends with my, 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 my pals there, my coworkers, but, but really knowing that that wasn't it wasn't the, the field for me, but what I did do when I left was that's when I got into funeral advocacy because I realized how much people didn't know about the business and what a shroud kind of there was over, um, over you know, what happens in a funeral, uh, in a funeral home and you know, kind of what it's all about. And I felt that it was really what my real calling was, um, was to start to work with educating people about, about the field. 
And um, so that's when I got involved with the Funeral Consumers Alliance of Eastern Mass and was, um, became a board member and started doing talks and workshops um, and just answering people's questions about the field that they didn't really feel like they had anybody else to ask. And, um, and then it was out of that that I became involved at working uh, more uh, uh, specifically with the green, green Burial, the Natural Burial Movement, and that's kind of how I got to where I am today. But um, it was definitely a, a real eye-opener to actually be working in the business. Um, and, you know, there were, and there were very, very sweet stories and very, um, you know, you just really, you could see how, there were people who wanted to have more of an experience with being able to be with the body and yet didn't know how to in that kind of environment, in that context. I mean, where there was a young woman who, who came to the funeral home. Her grandmother had died, and um, so the grandmother's body was, was uh, with us. And she said, you know, could I, like, would this be weird? But, you know, do you think that I could come in and just, you know, paint my grandma's nails? Like, she would be so horrified if she knew that she was going to be buried with, you know, with, with no nail polish on. And, you know, I said, sure, you know. So she came in and you know, just like sat with her grandmother and did her nails. And it was just so moving. And just like that little example of how that granddaughter connected with her grandmother in a way that was really powerful for her, um, but couldn't have maybe happened if we didn't say, yeah, that was fine or think that was weird, you know. And so that's, you know, that's some of what we're trying to do in terms of the movement, in terms of uh, natural burial, in terms of home funeral movement, is to really provide a context for people to be able to um, be, you know, up close and, um, you know, uh, and caring for the person that they loved. Um, there's there's a woman who, uh, her name is Beth Knox, and she really um, was one of the founders of what we now know as the, you know, the, the home funeral um, movement in this country. And she tells a very compelling story about um, how her daughter died in a, an airbag accident. You know, I think she was five or seven. Um, and so, and she was saying, so, you know, here was this, uh, this crisis and, and that, you know, the state requires parents to take care of their children you know, in lots of very specific ways. And, you know, there's a certain kind of um, understand that we have about, understanding that we have about what parents do for children. And she said, you know, and I've taken care of my daughter, you know, and I've been the one to take care of her and feed her and, and take care of her well-being. Why in the world would I um, allow strangers to come in and take her body when I'm not ready um, for her to be, um, you know, to be let go yet? I want to be the one to, you know, to, to wash her and dress her and have her at home in her bed um, while we grieve these couple of days. And, you know, who is, a, who is the state or who is a funeral home to tell me that I can't do that? And so, you know, and, and it, she tells, it's a very um, powerful and compelling story that she tells in a, in a documentary um, called The Family Undertaking that was, um, that was shown on uh, Point of View I don't know if you're familiar with that series, but um, and this was this was many years ago. I mean, this was I don't even know it was back in the the 90s, I guess. Um, and that film really changed a lot of people's um, ideas about what you could do at the end of life. I mean, how death care could be. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, when you think about it like that, it makes so much sense. Yeah, it's uh, that's a uh, pretty. Uh... 
a heartbreaking story too of that woman. It's like, oh, it's dip. yeah, it was. Uh, it's, it is. It is. Yeah, totally. Uh, and just like listening to her, like, yeah, it just. I mean, I even telling the story now, I feel very. Um, you know, it's very emotional. But but to go back to. Um, you know, the question, too, about, well, it's creepy people who go into the industry. I think that so much has changed, too, since when I was going into the business, because now, and again, I have to say that I think that, like, Six Feet Under really, like, opened people's eyes to um, this issue and to the, to um, just, you know, death, how death care happens in America. Um, and, and so many other factors have changed, too, but more and more women are going into the field um, than they used to. I mean, it used to be a very strange thing. And now um, we're just seeing the rise of, of women in the field and that it's actually, that it is a field that people are interested in. Um, it wasn't just a family business, I think, because for so long it was, you know, the sons who, and sometimes the daughter, but daughters, but mostly the sons who took over the family business when, you know, dad died or retired. And now because there are less and less family-owned businesses because these big corporations are taking over, um, actually there is more opportunity for women. There, there are more opportunities for people who wouldn't necessarily be um, um, born into it, which was the way it was for, you know, years. Um, people who have no connection to the funeral home but just think, wow, this would be an interesting job, or maybe they've watched CSI or something. I don't know. But it seems like, you know, dead bodies aren't quite as um, – uh, they're, they're, it's not as taboo a subject, I think, as it was, you know, say, t 15, uh, 20 years ago, just because there's more discussion about it and there's more information about it. And, you know, people are kind of curious about it in a way that um, when it was just the, the small funeral homes, the family-owned funeral homes, it was kind of this, like, secrecy around it. And I think a lot of that has changed. And so more and more people are going into it, you know, just because they think it's an interesting profession. Um and, you know, you do have to have a certain kind of, you know, you have to be able to, you have to be a pretty balanced person, I think, to go into something like that. Yeah. Because, it, you know, it, as you can imagine. It seems like you could easily lose your mind. <laughs> just, I mean, just because having to think about death so often, though I'm, yeah. I'm a big thinker. I've been, I've been fixated on it since I was a wee boy. <laughs> Um, in what ways? Like what aspects? Well, I you know, mean, like thinking like more in a like kind of existential kind of way or. Um, it was more existential. I think it was partly my father died when I was um, 12 and it was mm. a very violent accident. And mm. I was in the next room. Uh, he accidentally wow. shot himself. I don't know why I was dancing around <laughs> why I was making wow. it. But uh, yeah, and it was kind of an an intense thing and then it was strange because as a kid there was a lot of um death that followed that uh and uh, like kids in high school and stuff like that and i which i guess you know everybody there's some kid gets drunk and and does something stupid in high school and dies <laughs> not to make yeah. that a joke but but i mean it's just but but it, i think i was just more um uh, already integrated with like I'd, I'd seen it like wow. happen and I think at that and then you know it was more of like you know I think it was like separation anxiety you know not or, uh, yeah. you know like a lot of hang-ups and then now it's more of a I'm more interested in in it on a you know uh not just a spiritual level because I don't like I'm just fascinated mm -hmm. by other cultures uh <laughs> 
ways of dealing with it. And most, it seems like most religions uh, uh, tend to have death rituals and like kind of more preparing for it, where I think in our society, which is uh, heavily Christian, there's that I think Christianity lends itself to being a, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll think about this later. Like, uh, it's going to be okay because you're going there. So, you know, don't, don't, <laughs> and it's like, no, you better think about it because it's not going to be, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I feel like, yeah, I just feel like we, you know, and also the act of death is like, you know, I, I think we don't really think that for most of us, the shit isn't going to end well. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're going to be hobbling around. Some of us are going to be screaming. Like it's, you know, it's very yeah. rarely does someone's like, oh, and I'm gone. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I know, I know. Yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it, about how our culture, like, you know, the predominant culture or whatever really like creates the, the thinking or the norm for everybody else. I mean... The fact that we, you know, I, well, I remember when, when my father died, I mean, he was, you know, fairly, you know, it was in the 60s, but, um, and he had cancer, and I came from a, come from a Catholic background, and so when he was buried at the Mass, um, there was really not much discussion about him. It was really about, you know, Jesus, and uh, it was, you know, it was very kind of general, and because that's because it, that's what a mass is. I mean, it's not really focused on the person so much, even though you're there because of the person and the caskets, you know, right there in the in the church. But but yeah, it's a it's 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 a very different you know approach than so many other cultures have. Um, you know, we're thinking about like certain cultures where the body is laid out, and you know, the spirit the spirit needs time to like three days or something to, or five days to, you know, leave the, the, the body. And, um, you know, there's, you take some time. I mean, I think that in our culture, um, it's really, you know, the person dies and what's the first thing you do, you call the funeral home to take the body away. You know, I mean, if it's, you know, unless there's, you know, like an emergency, emergency kind of situation or something like in your case where I'm sure it was very different. Um, which is really a tough start, man. But yeah, but yeah, and, and and so that's what happens. And and you know, when my father died, it was before I was really you know involved in all of the things I am now. And you know, we called the funeral home, and it was a, a you know a Memorial Day weekend. And of course, the funeral director's like out at a picnic or something, so <laughs> he's got to suit up and come over to the the house. But um, yeah, I mean, if I had it to do differently, you know, then. I would have wanted to like just spend some time with him and his body and, you know, do all the things that just kind of, you know, kind of that you think about you, you want to do, but you just, you, you're, you kind of panic. I think that's the other thing that happens when, when somebody dies is that people panic because they just don't know what to do with the body. They think, oh my God, it's going to start decomposing right away. Or, oh my God, you know, we're violating some kind of law. We need to call the police or or, you know, the funeral home right away. And, and, and that is, that's also a, it's, it's um, a kind of a way of thinking that's been kind of, um, you know, somehow um, uh, uh, drummed into us that we don't have, we, it's like as soon as somebody dies, we don't have any rights or something. Or we, and, and it's just not, not really the case. I mean, the person's dead, so nothing's going to happen. 
You know, I mean, yeah. you know, when I mean, I, you know, when I talk to, you know, my friends who are home funeral guides, I mean, it's, you know, some of what talking to the families is really about saying it's the person is dead. It's OK. And, you know, nothing's really going to happen right now. Um, you know, the body will eventually start to decay and that kind of thing. But that doesn't happen right away. You know, let's take some time. Yeah, I think people you know? probably think, uh, you know, wolves are on their way. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I'm not yeah. even, but uh, it's. Yeah, it's, and what a, and what a, I mean, I wonder, like, what a challenging job a funeral director has. Because, like, like, you're at a picnic, you're probably having a good day. I wonder if, like, they've got to have days, too, where they're like, God damn it. Like, yeah. Or, or like, right. and you always have to, you know, you can't be in, like, a glib mood when you're, like, around, you can't be, like, wisecracking. You can't have, like, right, a fun I, work day. It, Exactly. Or, you know, a couple of beers at a picnic and show up, you know, at somebody's house, like smelling like a brewery. I mean, you know, you definitely have to, um, you know, it is a demanding job because it is 24 seven. And unless you have, you know, there's a big staff where you can share those responsibilities, which is rarely the case. I mean, that's starting to happen more and more now with the, you know, with the corporations buying out these, these, uh, these funeral homes. But, you know, for the longest time, if you were, you know, a a couple, you just had a couple of people in your shop. I mean, that's, you were on call and that was that day or night. And, you know, that was the other part. And, you know, I used to, you know, you would, some funeral homes too, they might, um, uh, they might contract out that service, right? So that they would contract out to a removal service, you know, and there are some funeral homes that also contract out their embalming, you know, so I guess it just depends on, you know, how you want to set up the business. But, you know, traditionally, um, yeah, you would have to be, be be ready to get in your suit, you know, day or night and, and go take care of, uh, go into a home where there's probably a lot of, you know, there's a lot happening. You know, people are freaked out. They're crying. They're, um, you know, they're angry. Um, they see you show up in your suit and they, you know, get even more angry or they freeze or they don't want to let go of the body. I mean, you know, I was doing a removal once and, you know, with a colleague and, um, you know, it was a, a, a guy who died. He was a fairly, you know, younger guy. I mean, and his wife just could not let go. You know, she's the one who called us to come pick up the body, but, you know, could not let go. And it's heart wrenching, you know, or if, a, you know, if, you know, a baby dies, it's, you know, oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, there are deaths and there are deaths, right? I mean, none of them are easy. But if somebody's older, if they've been sick for a while, if people, you know, the family and friends have had some time to really, you know, kind of go through that process with the person who's dying. But in the, you know, in the event where, you know, it's unexpected or like, you know, and like in your case, or there's some kind of violence attached to it in the sense that, you know, it's just like it's, 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 you, you can't even like, like it, you can't even hang on to it. The experience is so intense that that moment um, where you're not anticipating it, it's just, it's so surreal. And people, um, they're in that kind of state of like, just like not knowing what to do. And, you know, in the case of an unexpected death or being so caught off guard. Um, so you do have to be able to do, funeral directors have to have a lot of skills. You know, they have to be able to, especially if you're running your own shop, you know, you have to be, you have to be a business person so you can stay in business. You know, you've got to know the law. So you've, you know, there's a whole set of legal issues that you have to be familiar with. You've got to be able to, you know, be uh, empathic with people and to be able to deal with, you know, the grief and the suffering of people, which is pretty intense at times. 
you know, there's, you have to know about ritual, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, people wanting a service and a ceremony and, you know, that whole piece. Um, and now more and more, you know, you've got to know how to, you know, market your business and there's just like a lot to it. So, you know, when I say, oh, well, the funeral director, you know, the funeral industry, I mean, yeah, there's a lot that should change about it. And there's a lot that, um, you know, there are funeral directors who take advantage of people at a time of grief. But, you know, I, I think a lot of funeral directors, they're just trying to like make a living. You know, they're just kind of trying to do their job. They're trying to, you know, provide a service for people um, in an environment where there's so much changing and they're constantly being, um, um, they're constantly having to be competitive um, where they don't really have the advantage. You know, if you've got more cremations, then you're not making as much money. If somebody, um, brings in a casket from a third party, say I want to buy a casket at Costco and have it delivered to the funeral home. Um, they lose, they, I mean, because funeral homes have a huge markup on casket. I mean, they lose a bunch of profit that way. And by law, um, they, have to, uh, they have to accept that casket. So, you know, they're just, you know, people don't want the, the bells and whistles anymore. They might not want like a big fancy, you know, limousine and all of that. Um, so it, it does cut into their, their profit margins, and it's, you know, it's a tough way. To, it can be a tough way to make a living for, for some of them, which is why I think a lot of them have, um, you know, let themselves or uh, be bought out by these big cor- corporations because they just weren't able to make it uh, on their own. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how just the big corporations, not just the funeral, just like everything. It's just like- Oh, my God. Agriculture. I mean, you know, you name it. Yeah, and it's it's scary. I read a, a a thing a few years ago, just like how you could go from birth to death, and now and and spend every bit of money and time in between in a corporate envir- like corporate setting, food, living. Wow. It's just like it's oh like that God. prominent. It's I I think yeah. that was in like f- fast food nation or something crazy. <laughs> Well, I, I believe it. I mean, I think that that's really true. It's just becoming more and more like, you know, Margaret Atwood-ish, like, you know, Handmaid's Tale or something, you know, because you see that. Like, I want to go back and read that book now, you know, how many years later, because I think that that really is what's happening. So that's the, the downside. The upside is that because of that, you know, movements really are, people are coming together, you know, whether it's like local food, right, or, um, you know, people trying to fight Monsanto, or if it's around energy, or if it's around, you know, uh, healthcare or funeral stuff. I mean, that, you know, there are people who are just saying, I'm, I'm not going to just, um, you know, roll over and take it, or I'm not going to buy into this particular way, you know, this particular um, you know, uh, you know, corporate way of doing things. I mean, you can't do that all the time, but to the extent where you can, um, you know, there are a group of people who are starting to mobilize around that. And so that's really encouraging. I mean, just the fact that there are as many, um, natural burial grounds as there are now, um, is, 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 is really significant and it's really, um, very encouraging and that more and more people are asking for it. You know, but the more people ask for it, you know, the industry is going to, you know, they're going to be more and more defensive. I mean, there was a, I was reading about a case recently, I think it was in Georgia, where there were some, I think they were Trappist monks, I'm not really sure, but they um, were some monks, they were building caskets because that's what they do, you know, they're woodworkers. And that the, um, God, was it in Georgia? I don't know if I'm getting the state mixed up or not, but 
Um, but the funeral, you know, the funeral directors industry in that state started, you know, they were, they were like going after these monks because they were saying, well, you know, there are certain rules around making caskets and selling caskets. And, you know, it just got into this big lawsuit just because these monks wanted to sell their caskets, Fucking you know, monks. but the funeral industry thinks, I know, I know, damn them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so it's just kind of interesting that they're, that, that, you know, they, the funeral directors there felt like they had to keep a monopoly on, you know, the caskets, that caskets are only, you know, sold one way by us, basically, um, because there's such a big markup on it. Um, but, you know, they're not selling the cardboard caskets. You know, they're selling the big mahoganies and the steel and everything else. Um, so, so yeah, I do, I do see a shift. And I think that it's really encouraging that people are starting to think about these issues. And, you know, every time we give a talk or do a workshop or, you know, have our little table set up, um, you know, people have really good questions and they're really interested in this kind of thing. So I think it's like asking them the right questions to start to think about it themselves. Um, in a way that they just hadn't before. But once they start putting the pieces together, they say, yeah, you know, that makes complete sense. Yeah. So I'm, I'm totally hopeful about it. That's for sure. That's yeah. It's definitely seems like it's, and I think anybody who hears this will probably, I mean, I just, once you start hearing about it, you, you're like, Oh yeah, I better start. Like it's, it's just, you can't help but think about it when, because when our when uh, uh, Bernadine mentioned it, it that she was yep. and uh, I was just like whoa yeah like that's I that's why I wanted to talk to you because it's such a fascinating concept that I don't think people yeah yeah but um yeah I do uh, I do need to wrap it up um yes I do yep. want to thank you because I, I this was really great like I really greatly enjoyed this so thank you very very mm. much. Well, I appreciate your interest in the topic, and I do, you know, any any way that we can really get the word out about this is such an opportunity, so thanks for providing the opportunity um, for us, because, you know, as you say, um, you know, as people start thinking about it, it's going to start making more sense, so um, it's the beginning of something. Yeah, and, and speaking of getting the word out, where can, um, what sort of, for, like, websites, or I, I don't know if you yep. do a Twitter well, or we have, any... Any, any? Well, we have a website. Yeah, our website is um, uh, greenburialma.org. And there are links on our website to, I had referenced the Green Burial Council earlier and, you know, to our state law. And, you know, so if people are interested in um, and some resources, books and films and that kind of thing, they can just go to our website at greenburialma.org and um, get the links there. Yeah, there's a lot of great information on that site because it's pretty, it's, I spent some good time on there and uh, the links and whatnot so once again yeah. I want to uh, thank you very very much thank you very much for listening to the episode I uh, hope you enjoyed it um, please peruse the other shows there on Feral Audio and uh, support Feral Audio thank you very much I hope you're good you're a wonderful person have a good day thank you I can't believe how cold it is. It's so cold in here. Don't you think it's going to be so cold? I have a brand the United States government.
branch of the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.